It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, welcome to the Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder. I'm Leslie Ludi, and today we're starting a four-part series on godly discernment for such a time as this. This is something that I am very passionate about because in the past 25 years or so that Eric and I have been in ministry, we've really seen up close behind the scenes of the modern church. And we've seen a lot of error and a lot of deception creeping into Christianity simply because modern Christians often don't have that that skill of godly discernment. And I know for my own life, it was something that God had to cultivate within me because it doesn't always come naturally. So I wanted to go over with you a few things that we're going to be covering in this series. And I wanted to start with Isaiah 59, 14, because it's such an amazing picture of where we're at in our culture today. It says, righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets and honesty cannot enter. I don't think there's very many of us who would argue that that is the state of our world today. Deception seems to be everywhere we look, we, we everywhere we turn, we see the culture and the the popular way of thinking, just deceiving and spinning reality. And yet a lot of times we get very disturbed when we see that happening in the culture, but we fail to realize that a lot of times it's always, it's also happening in the church. And I feel like we need to really understand how to guard our church our churches and our own lives against deception that creeps in under the banner of Christianity before we can truly be equipped to engage with the deception that we see taking place in the culture today. So I'm excited to make this practical for you. No matter what season of life you're in or what kind of church you're in, you probably can resonate with a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. In this series, we're going to be talking about how to recognize some of the most common perversions of truth that have crept into the church of, over the past couple of decades and that are very prevalent today. We're going to be talking about how to protect our own souls from being deceived by the common deceptions that are out there. And we're going to also be talking about how to handle concerns that we see within the church in a godly way, because it's not just a matter of being a discerning Christian, but how do we handle our discernment in a God-honoring way? So in part one, we are going to be talking specifically about how to guard against deception. In Acts 20, 28, just before Paul dies, he gives this really severe warning to the believers. And it says, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, that is a very serious warning that Paul is giving to the early church it's so serious that he had to warn everyone night and day with tears. And if you think about the early church, they had walked, they had been discipled by the apostles. They had been discipled by the apostle Paul, this group that he's speaking to here. They had seen miracles. They had seen the power of God, sometimes in ways that us in modern Christianity can only like baffle and mar- be baffled and marveled by. And yet they needed this warning to the point where Paul was warning them night and day with tears. Obviously, deception was an issue back then in the early church and it's an issue today it's something that god asks us to take very seriously the bible talks about wolves in sheep's clothing trying to draw the disciples to draw the elect away and i think a lot of times we just don't take those verses all that seriously because a lot of what's happening in the church 
when it comes to deception and error is very, very subtle. When someone is going to come into the church and draw away the remnant and kind of get us off track, they're not usually going to have a neon sign that says, this is wrong, this is error, this is deception. It's going to be done much more in a cunning way than that. And so that, I think, is why Paul is so serious about this warning, because he's saying just from among your own ranks, men are going to rise up trying to draw disciples away, and you need to be on your guard against this. So Ephesians 4.14 also tells us this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So again, that is talking about that cunning craftiness, that deception, that subtlety that so quickly leads us astray. And that's what we need to be on guard against. We, we aren't necessarily looking for something super obvious. We're looking for something a little bit more subtle and cunning and crafty. And that's what we have to be watchful and prepared for. De- the subtlety of deceit in Christianity today is that it's not going to be easily recognized. And a lot of times what I see happening, what Eric and I have seen happening over the past 20 plus years in ministry, is that when error comes to the church, it's oftentimes cloaked in something very appealing a lot of smoke and lights and bells and whistles and things that are artistic and appealing to our senses and our our likes and things that seem very in in step with modern culture that's oftentimes the package that it comes in and so we don't often recognize it when we first are encountering deception one example that is from eric's life when he was a young i think he was about 12 or 13 And his family, he grew up in a Christian home, and his mother wanted her children to go to as many Christian events as possible so they would really gain a passion for Jesus. And one of the things that she took their family to was an outdoor Christian concert. And this was sponsored by local churches. There were youth groups there. It was a very large crowd, and it was in the middle of the summer. All of these Christians had gathered together. And the the musicians that were on stage, it was a Christian singing group, but you wouldn't know if you walked in off the streets and you didn't know anything about this event, you wouldn't know that this was a Christian singing group. It, you would think it's probably just like a secular hard rock concert because it was the same type of like loud noise, obnoxious screeching into the microphone. You couldn't understand any of the lyrics. There were just lasers and lights and smoke and a whole bunch of screaming fans and his his parents, Eric's parents, especially his mom, she was kind of like, well, this is not the kind of Christian event that I was expecting. And there's nothing here that is really glorifying God. It's just, you know, a bunch of loud noises, just a bunch of smoke and lights. And it's actually very deceptive because this is all happening under the banner of Christianity. And yet there's nothing in it that's honoring Jesus. And so she told her family, even before the first song was done, that they were leaving. So they all packed up their lawn chairs or whatever they had with them and they left. So they didn't even stay for the concert. And they found out later that this kind of display on stage just kind of kept continuing. There was no um, no message about Christ or there, there weren't any songs that were truly worshipful. It was just kind of like obnox- obnoxious screaming and screeching for two or three hours. And there was a well-known evangelist there, and he was so grieved by what he was seeing under the banner of Christianity that he started to run through the audience about halfway through this concert, and he started to yell, Ichabod which is a phrase from the Bible that means the glory of the Lord has departed. And he was warning everyone, you know, this isn't glorifying to God. The glory of the Lord has departed. And afterwards, I think he was confronted by the other leadership. And, you know, they said that was 
it made f- people feel bad. Like, why were you doing that? That was a distraction. But he was really the only one willing to call a spade a spade in that situation and say, this is not what we should be doing under the name of, of Christianity. This is not what worshiping God is all about. And so, again, I think it's the dazzle that that often dis- it, it distracts the eye and deceives the heart. It's the smoke, the lights, the noise, the sound, you know, something new and different and trendy and exciting, and we can so easily get swept away by it. Now, it may not be music. It, it, there are so many other packages that it can come from. When I was first radically giving my life to Jesus. I remember going to the Christian bookstore and just assuming that pretty much any book that I found in the Christian bookstore was really solid and would would lead me closer to Jesus. I kind of assumed that everything that was coming through the Christian music industry or everything being released into a Christian bookstore would have gone through a pretty careful screening process. I kind of, in my mind, I think pictured a room full of godly elders, church elders that were gray headed and wise, and they would like examine everything and test it against scripture and give their stamp of approval and say, you know, this is healthy for the body of Christ. And then it would be published, then it would be released and I could buy it at a Christian bookstore. But sadly, that's actually not the reality very often with the materials, the products that are being fed into our Christian world. And Eric and I know this from firsthand experience being in the Christian music industry and Christian publishing industry for many, many years. I think the word industry is actually really critical for us to understand. We so often think that any book that is sold next to a Bible in a Christian bookstore or in the Christian section of a bookstore is healthy and good and right. And any uh, worship song or any musician that calls themselves Christian is has has been carefully screened and is completely in line with the word of God. But it really has become more of an industry than a ministry. And anyone in the industry will probably, if they were being honest, would tell you that. So a couple of examples from our life. I remember being, Eric and I were, were invited to speak at a very large Christian festival a number of years ago. And it was it was probably about 100,000 people at this event. It took place in, in a huge field in the middle of um, the summer. It was really, really hot. And all these Christian youth groups came to this festival. They had a few speakers. It was mostly Christian musicians, but we were backstage waiting for our turn to go out and speak. And we were able to interact with a lot of the artists that were really popular at the time, the Christian artists, because we were backstage with all of them. And I remember the first the first group that went out on stage the first day that we got there. It was sort of like the Christian version of the boy bands that were really popular at that time. And it was really, it's that you see that so often where the Christian industry will look at what's popular in the world and say, well, how do we make a Christian version of that? And that's what they had done with this band. So they had these teenage boys out there dancing around the stage, being pretty sensual. Now, of course, they were a few degrees less sensual than what you'd see in in, in a worldly concert, but really it was kind of the same idea. And all of these teenage girls, you know, thousands of teenage girls just screaming um, in adoration with these teenage boys as they performed on stage. And I remember a specific moment that really disturbed me there. It was a very hot day, probably close to 100 degrees out. And these guys were dancing around on stage. So they're getting really sweaty. And there were these like white towels that had been provided for them on the stage. So they would like wipe their sweaty faces with the white towels and then throw them to the audience. And so all of these teenage girls were like clawing and fighting over who got these sweaty towels. And it was just so obviously like idol worship happening under the banner of Christianity. And there was a big a sign over the stage that year that said a tribute to our creator. And we recognize, you know, this really isn't a tribute to the creator. What's happening on stage is a tribute to the artist, but not to the creator. 
And we saw that a lot. At that same festival, we had a conversation with a guy backstage that we started talking to mainly because Eric saw him and felt sorry for him. He looked like kind of a down and outer, like he was just this really unhealthy, depressed kind of a guy. And we had no idea who he was. We struck a a conversation with him and we found out he was the president of the largest Christian record label at that time. And so it was really surprising, actually, because he didn't come across as someone who um, was really had their life together. He came across that, that he had really kind of been through some rocky times and was not very healthy. And we started to ask him some questions about the Christian music industry. And he was very candid with us. He said, you know, a lot of times people assume that we sign these these young artists because they have a heart for ministry. But in reality, most of them, they just want to be on stage and they don't care if it's at a secular concert in a bar or at a festival or, at, or in a church. They just want to perform. And the, and the reason we sign them isn't because they have any kind of spiritual maturity. It's because we know they'll make money for us and we've got to stay in business as a company. And that was a very blunt conversation, but it was also very eye-opening. It was disturbing, but it was very eye-opening to say, okay, I don't think the Christian music industry is what it used to be. When you when you kind of study the roots of it and how, how it kind of first started, some of those very early artists like Keith Green um, and, I don't know, Evie and, the, you know, those ones from the 70s, it, it was different. It had like a purity to it. But now because that draw of money and fame has crept in, there's a lot of uh, deception because we look at that and we think, oh, well, it must be fine because it's Christian when in reality it might just be about fame and money. So we have to be on our guard. Another example was when Eric and I first signed a contract with a very large Christian publisher, a book contract, and he looked across the table from us and he said, you know, I just want you to know, I want to be upfront with you that this is all about money. That's what it boils down to. So we're not really that interested in speaking what, you know, is on your heart from God or doing this as a ministry. If we don't feel like it's going to sell, we're not going to publish it. We're all about making money and you need to know that up front. And here was the it was the largest one of the largest Christian publishers at that time. And again, a very blunt conversation, very eye opening and and through some experiences like that and many years of of seeing this kind of stuff behind the scenes, we began to recognize, okay, we need to take what's coming out of the Christian industry and compare it against the word of God, because it doesn't mean that every musician is only after fame and money. It doesn't mean that every Christian author is just way off base. It doesn't mean that every Christian uh, record label or every Christian publisher is that off base. It just means that there is definitely the tendency in that direction. And as Christians, we have to be discerning because a lot of what is coming through the Christian book industry and Christian music industry is shaping what's feeding into our churches. And that is one of the main reasons why we need to be discerning in these areas. So here are a couple reasons why I believe that we are more vulnerable to this in our time, in such a time as this, uh, maybe than in other generations throughout history. And the first one is, of course, the pitfall of fame and money that we've already talked about. There is tremendous money to be made in American Christianity, at least if you dazzle people enough with, you know, trendy messages, bells and whistles, a really impressive performance. There's a lot of Uh, opportunity to become famous or to make a lot of money. And so that, of course, is an inroads for uh, the wrong motives to be creeping in from the artist or the publisher or the record label president or whoever. And another reason is because we are now contending with the internet and social media. And that's something that really is fairly new to Christianity. In, In generations past, they didn't have to grapple with that. But really, 
if you know how to wield the internet, if you know how to be wise on social media, you can kind of make yourself seem credible, even if you're really not spiritually mature enough to have that credibility. I remember getting a letter from a publisher, a Christian publisher who was trying to promote a new Christian author and wanted my support for this new Christian author. And as I read the letter, it was really interesting because they weren't talking about this woman's testimony or her spiritual background or her heart for ministry. They were only talking about how many likes she had on her social media, how many friends she had on her Facebook page, how many followers she had online. And that was like the extent of her credibility as a minister of truth. And again, the internet can be very deceiving because it doesn't mean that everything you find on the internet is bad or that if you have a message, you shouldn't put it online. It just means that this is uh, this is an easy way for deception to creep in. If A lot of times the assumption is that if you have favor with the world, if you have a great following on social media, you must have something good to say rather than does this message actually line up with the word of God. There's a verse in 2 Timothy 3, 6 that talks about the deception of gullible women in the church. It says they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. And so gain control in this verse actually means to lead into captivity. And so if you see these, these people who are deceiving, they worm their way into homes and they find those weak Christians who are maybe... Um, just still enslaved by sin and weighed down by their own evil desires or sensual desires. Maybe they esteem the things of Christianity, but they haven't ever fully radically surrendered their life to Jesus. And they're not, they're not abiding in truth. And so they're very gullible. They're very easily deceived. And that's what you see happening a lot today, not just with women, but with the church in general. One of the reasons that this works is because one of the enemy's most sneaky tactics is to blend truth with lies. Usually he doesn't just come in with a big fat lie. He comes in cloaking his lies in some truth on either side so that we don't see it as quickly. And the only way to avoid being like the gullible women in that verse is to recognize and separate out the lies from the truth. I remember a number of years ago, there were some videos that were very popular in Christianity and a, a specific pastor had released them. They were really artistic and very cool the way he put them together. And they talked about, you know, the way we, we should be sharing the gospel with others, but they were kind of on that edge of being kind of watering down the gospel. There was no like really deep life-changing truth in them. And they kind of made fun of bold, powerful preaching and taking a bold stand for truth and kind of watered the, the gospel down, but it was pretty subtle. And because these videos were so well done and so professionally filmed and artistic and the guy was a great communicator, all these pastors just like gravitated toward these videos and these videos started to get into every church out there. And pretty soon the church began to trust this particular guy who would come out with these videos. And just when he came out with a book, they would just buy the book. They would just assume that everything he came out with was good until finally this guy went so completely off track that he began to speak things were, that were just complete heresy. And finally, you know, church, some churches started to say, wait, something's wrong with this guy. Other churches never actually woke up to the fact that this guy is so massively off track. He is leading countless thousands of Christians astray. But it all started with something very subtle where there was a lot of truth blended in with a few twistings and warpings and perversion of truth. So that's what we have to be careful of. Proverbs 8, 33 through 35 says this, hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my door, doors for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. 
Now, this is a really encouraging scripture because God is making his wisdom available to us. We are not helpless against the enemy's subtlety and his deception. But this verse also makes it clear that we are to be doing something. We are to be actively involved in this process of receiving God's wisdom. So it says that we are to listen to his voice. We are to hear his wisdom and not disdain it. Okay. And that is huge because a lot of times we want to disdain the wisdom of God. When we look at the culture and we see what's popular and the wisdom of God just doesn't seem to fit with culture. We, we oftentimes want to distance ourselves from the wisdom of God, but we have that responsibility to not disdain the wisdom of God and also to watch daily at his gates and to wait at the posts of his door. So this is a very active involved process on our part. We don't just expect God to give us his wisdom when we're not even ready for it or watching for it. We have a responsibility in this. And Proverbs, the whole book of Proverbs is basically promising us that that if we diligently seek his wisdom, he will give it to us. He's not trying to withhold his wisdom from us. And so if we're really interested in the wisdom of God and we we esteem it very highly, he will give his wisdom to us. I'd like to share with you three principles for becoming a discerning Christian in such a time as this, because what I've given you to so far in this episode is just a very little snapshot of some of the deception that we've seen creeping into the church, but it's pretty widespread. Again, what I saw as I, as I matured in my Christian life is that I couldn't just walk into a Christian bookstore and just take any book off the shelf and assume that it was on track. I had to be very, watchful and very purposeful about which books I would read. And that's actually what led me to fall in love with Christian biographies and kind of the great Christian classics, because they've been proven for generations to be strengthening to the church and to line up with the word of God. One of the reasons that I used to think that every book and every song that came out of the Christian industry was carefully vetted by this board of godly trusted elders was because I saw as Eric and I got into ministry a little bit later in life, we, you know, after we got married and started out our marriage, really traveling around churches all over the country, we saw pastors using the most popular Christian books to shape most of their messages on Sundays. We saw worship leaders taking whatever songs, whatever artists were most popular and using that music to shape their worship ministry. And so because we saw these voices in the Christian industry so massively shaping the church, and then we begin to recognize, wow, not everything that's coming out of this industry is actually godly. That's when we began to be a lot more alert to becoming discerning Christians. And so these three principles that I'm about to share with you flow, have flow, flowed out of that time in our life. The first one is to be aware of itching ears. There's a verse in 2 Timothy that says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears aside away from the truth and will be turned aside to fables. Now, itching ears in this verse means to be desirous of hearing something pleasant. And that is such a revealing statement there because I think so often the reason we are not as quick to recognize error is because we desire to hear something pleasant. It's a lot more enjoyable to hear something pleasant than just to hear this bold, blunt truth. A lot of times truth can be hard to hear because it convicts us. It challenges us. It doesn't leave us comfortably where we are. But a lot of times we don't want to be challenged. We don't want to be convicted. We just want to hear something pleasant. And that is why we allow a lot of this watered down stuff to creep into our churches. And when we are desiring to hear something pleasant, what we tend to do is modify God's word to try to fit with our ideas. So if we read a verse that we don't really like, we either pretend it's not in the Bible or we try to change its meaning 
to kind of fit what we prefer, our preferences, our desires. If we hear a message that challenges us, we kind of justify why we shouldn't have to pay attention to it. But if we hear a message that tells us what we want to hear, we, you know, we love and idolize the person giving that message. So that's just our tendency as humans. There's a, an interesting quote from Jim Elliott that was in his book that where his wife Elizabeth recorded a lot of the private correspondence that they had back and forth when, when they were first getting to know each other and some of the letters that he wrote to his family as a young man. And there was one particular letter where he was speaking to a family member about some woman in their church that had like really wanted them to do a certain style of church service or a certain style of worship. And her reasoning was because that particular way of doing church or doing worship is most satisfying to me as an individual. And this was Jim's response to someone in a private letter about that. He said, what in all eternity has that got to do with it? Have her personal likes and dislikes any right to dictate method in the Holy Church of God? It is this attitude which has brought hopeless confusion into our present order. Let God be true and every man a liar. Is it his way? Then let my personal likes be filed in the waste can. And that is really the attitude that we need to have if we want to avoid becoming those itching ears Christians who just want to hear and experience something pleasant rather than what is really true. We need to have the attitude that says, if it's God's way, I'm going to put my personal preferences aside because his way is so much higher than my way. Here are a couple examples of some of the ear-tickling messages that might you might be encountering today in the church. The first one would be no conviction over sin. Conviction is bad. You should never feel guilt or remorse or shame. You're fine just the way you are. Now, while we don't want to give in to the enemy's voice, which says there's no hope for you and you're terrible and you're hopeless and I, you know, you're condemned, that's, that's a lie from the enemy. But the, but the reality is that we do need to feel broken over our sin. We do need to feel that conviction from God's spirit. Otherwise, we will never really be able to receive the glorious message of the gospel. So beware of that message that's like, hey, you know, you're fine just how you are. God loves you anyway. It doesn't matter. You know, don't worry about changing or you don't want to feel convicted about anything. Another message you might be hearing is that Christianity, it's all about you and you showcasing yourself to the world rather than it's all about Jesus. Right now we live in a very self-worshipping culture and social media is only catering to that and that mentality often creeps into the church. Another ear-tickling message would be you know, we need to be like the culture in order to reach the culture. So the more we participate in the things of this world, the better witness we're going to be for Jesus. All of those things ignore very key components of scripture. For example, God says to come out from among them and be separate and to be holy and set apart from him for him. And we oftentimes kind of want to glaze over those scriptures and say, no, you know, I need to be more like the world so they will take me more seriously for my witness for Christ. So there are a lot of messages out there like that. We're going to be talking about more of those later in this series, but be on guard against those things. The way to recognize a, a, an erroneous message really is to have a heart attitude that asks a totally different question. We're used to asking the question, how do I feel about this? Does this make me feel good? Does this make me feel happy? Is this what I want to hear? But what we need to do is start asking a new question. What does God say about this? Because that's really all that matters. And I'm going to put my feelings aside because what God says is what really matters, not how I feel, but what God says. So again, let's be willing to file our personal likes in the waste can, as Jim Elliott said, if they don't line up with the word of God. So that is the first practical. Beware of being that itching, itching ears type of Christian. And the best way I can tell you to do that is to start asking that question, not how do I feel about this, but how, what does God say about this? Secondly, make God's word your lifeline. It cannot just be a casual companion. 
God's word is truth and it is wisdom and is really meant to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And if we kind of set it off to the side and say, you know, I'm going to grow spiritually from these other books and blogs and people's ideas of what truth is, but you leave the word of God off to the side, you are not going to be a discerning Christian. George Mueller, who's a famous man in Christian history, if you've never studied his life, he's, he's a fascinating incredible example of faith and trusting God. And he's kind of most known for uh, having an orphanage in Bristol, England that was entirely run on faith. And his life was an incredible testimony. But when he first came to Christ in his autobiography talks about a struggle that he had of not really making the word of God, his lifeline, he said this, I fell into the same snare, which so many young believers fall the reading of religious books in preference to the scriptures, my difficulty in understanding the Bible and the little enjoyment I had in it made me careless of reading it. And thus, like many believers, I practically preferred for the first four years of my divine life the works of uninspired men to the oracles of the living God. The consequence was that I remained a babe, both in knowledge and in grace. So many of us can relate to that struggle. And he wasn't even living in modern times, and he had that struggle. It's very tempting to want to turn to other resources first and foremost and let the Bible kind of sit in the background. But we need to flip-flop that. It's, it's great to utilize some of the solid resources that are out there today, but only when the Word of God is our first turn and it is our lifeline and it's what we base our entire life around is the Word of God, not just other people's interpretation of the Word of God. So Corey ten Boom, here's a, here's a great quote that kind of puts everything into perspective. She said, God's viewpoint is sometimes very different from ours, so different that we could not even guess at it unless he had given us a book which tells us such things. So we need to understand that oftentimes our perspective and God's perspective are very different. And unless we're going to the word of God, immersing ourselves in his word, we won't be able to really have the mind of Christ. So my challenge to you this week is to ask God to show you the specific and practical ways that you can put his word and his truth above all other human ideas and philosophies and all other feelings you may have and put all of your personal preferences aside and say, Lord, I want to be shaped and molded only by your truth. If you go after his wisdom and you say, Lord, I want to walk in godly discernment for such a time as this, he desires you to be equipped with his wisdom and to have your feet be planted on solid ground. So it's a prayer that he loves to answer. It's more than possible to walk in discernment and still and not be in a fleshly way, like trying to barricade yourself from everything that bad that might be out there, but to just to have that confidence that God is going to give you his wisdom as you ask him for it, as you seek him for his wisdom. He is faithful. God bless. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is streamed daily, Monday through Friday, from our studio in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekend church service is delivered live and streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Note that our live weekday in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume this upcoming June in conjunction with our training season. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.